This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, Womit fam, just wanted to let you know we are going to put a trigger warning for gun violence in the beginning of this episode. So, so I don't know about you, but I've completed watching Stranger Things. Wait. Same. Well, no spoilers, but just an FYI, the rest of the season doesn't come out until July. July 1st. And actually, Danielle, I'm really, like, I shouldn't be surprised that we both finished it, but we're recording this. How many days did it take you to to watch? I think it's been like two days. So I had to take a couple breaks because this season is scary. I completely agree. And like, not only scary, it was like very violent very violent like scary shit yes i thought you know demogorgons were scary and (laughs) you know those are child's play now but like i will say overall if you haven't watched it yet like i would give it a 10 out of 10 i was really i'm really impressed with this season i thought like the character development was on point i know the storyline was on point like i was just and like every episode is so long like every episode is just a movie in itself Yes, it does not. It does not leave you wanting for anything except for the new episodes. Except for the next episode, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really impressed that we both finished it. Uh, Highly recommend. Um, You know, we love our TV over here. We haven't talked about TV in quite a while, but we haven't. Um, But I did have to take a break. Like I had to like watch an episode or two of Schitt's Creek before I went to bed. After I watched the first four episodes, because I was like. (laughs) A hundred percent. It was like a very scary season. Yes. Like, I don't remember the other seasons being like this scary. I mean, I do, but like not to this extent, but I'm I'm a scaredy pants. So I'm just really, I'm constantly impressed with my capacity to tolerate more scary things. (laughs) I know. But maybe as a nation, that's kind of bad because I think we get a little numb to it. And... I'm sure you noticed before the episode aired, obviously they filmed Stranger Things during the pandemic, long before the shooting at Uvalde uh, happened. Um, So they actually put a trigger warning before the episodes um, because of how violent and scary and realistic the opening scene is. Yeah, I know. I... That opening scene of Stranger Things, yeah, it was um, very disturbing. And obviously they filmed it long before the events happened. I'm actually re- was really impressed that they were able to get that trigger warning out there. Like that turnaround yeah. seemed very quickly. Like they were able to get that up on Netflix before the season premiered. But I thought that that was really thoughtful of them to yeah. make that warning because it was such a violent and graphic scene directed at children. Um, so just really hitting home to a lot of Americans that are still processing and kind of collectively grieving this mass, this mass shooting again. Week of shootings. Yeah. And of course, following the the grocery store shooting as well. It's just been a really heavy week. And so we kind of wanted to talk about it this week here on the WOMED. And just to be clear, Jack and I are not experts on guns. So Please just, you know, listen through this episode. If you are a gun carrying owner, I grew up around guns. My dad hunted, grew up on a farm. 
I was always, always had a very healthy fear. Mm-hmm. I have shotguns before with mm-hmm. my dad, mm-hmm. but I was always taught to respect the weapon because it is a weapon. Uh, it, it just wasn't my thing. I know some people are really into shooting for sport, like just at targets for having, you know, great aim or whatever. I know it's an Olympic sport. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't get the why. I don't get the fascination. I don't get the need for them. I don't get the need for you to continue on with this hobby because that's what it is in the wake of all of the shootings. Yeah. It's like there's there's nowhere that feels safe. I mean, I see my dad who who hunts. Obviously, he doesn't like hunt for sport. You know, I think big game hunting should be like fucking outlawed. You guys are a bunch of pussies <laughs> getting drug out to somewhere in, in Africa to, to shoot a rhino. Like, good job. You have a tiny dick. But the fact that you can't legally buy alcohol, but you can buy an Armalite rifle, which is what AR stands for in the mm-hmm. AR-15 is mm-hmm. Armalite rifle. It is not an automatic rifle, which is a very common misconception, one that like I've just learned. And that just stands for the person that, that made it. But that is the weapon that is most consistently used mm-hmm. in these mass shooting events. You only have to be 18. You got to be 21 to purchase a handgun, but you only have to be 18 to purchase the rifles that have been used in the majority of mass shootings. And that's really fucked up. Yeah, I mean, this is such there's this such a complex conversation and one that can go in so many different directions because this is gun violence, gun reform, gun laws are such a (laughs) such a so, so complex. And it's interesting that you like grew up in Wisconsin in more of like a common hunting. I wouldn't say like gun culture, but the hunting aspect of gun culture, whereas I grew Mm -hmm. up in urban Chicago on the near west side, which is one of the most notorious areas in the nation for gun violence, and started my nursing career also on the near west side of Chicago, near west, near south side of Chicago, seeing a lot of gun violence directly affecting patients and families and communities, and seeing how devastating guns can be like from a really young age, honestly, it was kind of I think being from Chicago, like something that really unfortunately is something that you get used to like seeing in the news every weekend. But then obviously we have these mass shootings as well. But I just want to definitely say the more I've learned about gun control and gun violence in the last 10 years, kind of working more in the activism space, the more I realize I don't know about the laws and and the, the more I feel confused and like, what are we to do next? But I will just say like, bottom line, our country has a disgusting gun problem and a disgusting gun obsession. There are literally more guns in America than there are people. And like, that's a problem. That's a disturbing statistic. But it really has become this this public health crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you said that because there is a whole way of thinking about this issue from a public health lens. And there's kind of like a complex history into like gun violence in this country and Long story short, there was um, the U.S. government was actually not even allowed like the CDC or the NIH. I mean, like the governing bodies um, in health and public health were actually not even allowed to study gun violence through a public health lens until 2019. I'm sorry, what? 
I know, not until 2019. There was a previous amendment called the Tiki Amendment, which disallowed like federal funding to be used to promote or advocate for gun control. So it cut research dollars to health agencies like the CDC or the NEH. I know it's disgusting, but that was you know, changed in 2019. Why. Yeah, I know. So that was changed in 2019. And now there are universities like UCLA and the University of Chicago has, um, I believe it's called the Urban Crime Labs. Johns Hopkins has like the Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy. So there are a lot of bodies that are looking at gun violence through a public health lens, not just the mass shootings, because that's another misconception, right? Like the mass shootings get a lot of the media attention. But when it comes to looking at the statistics of gun violence and and gun violence fatalities and disability that is such a small part of the picture are these mass shootings but obviously they're extremely devastating and they get a lot of media of attention and they are devastating and i think that's why we wanted to have this conversation is because these mass shootings kind of bring this it brings the reality more to the forefront about what this country is dealing with Obviously, the mass shootings get the most attention. I mean, I was in seventh grade when Columbine Mm -hmm. happened. Yep. And multiple times a year, there are shootings, whether they are targeted at schools, nightclubs, grocery stores, movie theaters. There's also the fact that I I just need to swing back to Mm -hmm. the fact that it's just so easy Mm -hmm. to purchase weapons. Yeah. Yeah. On top of the fact that, like, you know, kids can pick locks. Kids are curious, you know, no matter how safe you think your uh, gun safe is or how well you think you've hidden your gun. I remember just climbing up in the closet trying to, like, find different things mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are curious. And kids are are a large a portion of um, gun violence. Yeah. But the common thing you keep hearing... All these mass shooters are labeled as mentally unwell. And so many people jump to it being a mental health problem. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, I would say there's definitely a mental health component, but other countries have mental health problems and they don't have the mass shootings that we do. But also you have people who are suicidal and... Have maybe done a stint in like a rehab facility or um, some sort of therapeutic environment to to heal. That are able to go and purchase guns once they leave, right? To right. hurt themselves or other people. That is a huge piece of the puzzle that unfortunately we don't talk about. I think because there's a lot of stigma and the media doesn't talk about death by suicide, but like, if you look at the statistics, gun, guns are the leading method for suicide, death by suicide in the U.S., accounting for half of all suicide deaths by guns. And when you look at firearms deaths, as we were just saying, mass shootings are just a small piece of that. Between, I believe the statistics, between 50 and 60 percent of all firearm deaths are from suicide. So when you're looking at those statistics of of firearm deaths. Um, and you're thinking half of them are death by suicide. There's a huge piece that people don't talk about. And you're right, Danielle, like what are the, some of those restrictions that 
you know, aren't that are keeping people from from accessing guns and because it makes sense, right? Like it's and it's the that lethality behind the method, right? If you have Mm -hmm. something there that can make the decision really quick for you, that's why, right? It's like that's why it's a problem and that's why it's so scary. But it also brings in another component of how hippo comes into Mm, play. Yeah, true. Yeah. I didn't even actually didn't really think about it that way. But I feel like that is an instance that you know that should be allotted for when you're trying to purchase a gun. I don't think you should be allowed to purchase a gun if you've just spent time in a facility or you have like a depressive mental health history, like it's it's not safe for you and it's it's not safe for someone else. Right. And I think that that's why like this concept of addressing gun violence as a public health issue, that's why it's so helpful to reframe and think of it this way, because it would take matters like mental health and suicide rates into the equation into trying to find solutions. It also looks at just general sensible gun reform, like the fact that we as a country cannot just get on the same page of a nonpartisan sensible gun reform is just disgusting because you look at both sides. Like if you want to go to the left and the right and look at both sides, a lot of gun owners on the right side, conservative, like it almost like sounds like your dad, for example, is a hunter, has had experience with guns, knows how serious of a commitment that is to own and operate a gun. They want sensible gun reform too. They don't think just anybody should be able to go and get a gun. No, we've got people on the far and the right that think that there should be sensible gun reform. And then we've got people on the left also obviously advocating for sensible gun reform. You've got people yeah. like me that are like on the far, far left that are like, no one. Should <laughs> but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I know that I get too far left. But no, I just I think it's just absolutely disgusting that this country cannot come to a conclusion about sensible gun reform. It's most Americans want it. So it's like, Congress, y'all got to like figure it the fuck out. And I don't know how many more of these mass shootings and how many more days in Chicago need to go by where like dozens of children or dozens of people are just killed on the weekends, just like a typical Chicago weekend for for there to be change. And then you have people that are like, well, the bad guys will always get guns. Ugh, oh my God. That, I hate when people, oh my God, I'm like going to puke just... Again, that is such a small equation of the amount of gun violence killing Americans. Yeah. I will say too, like as a nurse, I've had a lot of experience like as in Chicago working with patients of gun violence. First, before I was even a nurse, I started at the Rehab Institute of Chicago, which is like um one of the top rehab hospitals. And we would see a lot of spinal cord injured patients. And a lot of our spinal cord injured patients, how do you think they got their spinal cord injuries? They were shot. Um, so I was like 19, 20 years old, 21 when I started kind of being exposed to the seriousness of the injuries, like the disability that can go along with gun violence. And then in nursing, when I was a nurse, same kind of thing, working on a neuro unit, saw a lot of gun, saw a lot of um, trauma and saw a lot of spinal cord injuries, a lot of brain injuries, um, all related to gun violence, a lot of like back surgeries from people that had been shot years ago. And then I will say, I think this past year when I was working Um, doing all my clinical hours for FNP school. I spent the last year all in a community clinic in a neighborhood called Englewood on the south side of Chicago. It's historically one of, if not the most 
notorious neighborhoods for high rates of gun violence. And it's a neighborhood where I've done a lot of community work in those spaces, like with with members of the community, with a different fellowship that I had and all these other things that I have been involved with the community to try to get like a better sense of how the community is um, tackling this issue. But anyway, in the clinic, not only did I see patients that we were recovering from gunshots, gunshot wounds, broken legs, gunshots, wounds to the abdomen, right? Like after they get out of the hospital, coming to see their primary care doctor. But for the first time I saw in the community, just the devastating effect that it had on families and having whole families come in or having only a few members of the family come in because they had recently lost a few other sisters or brothers or aunts or uncles to gun violence. Like in certain neighborhoods in cities like Chicago, you would not believe how common it is that people just lose loved ones to gun violence. And we're so, I'm so fortunate, you know, in Chicago, I mean, we don't have to beat around the bush. It is completely segregated by color. Neighborhoods of color that have been historically marginalized and disinvested in suffer from gun violence. And it is such a complex issue. It it can go back to poverty. It can go back to homelessness. It can go back to mental health. It can go back to so many different reasons of why these issues are, are, why gun violence is so plagued in these neighborhoods now. But I will say this past year, I had a whole different understanding of gun violence and why addressing it through a public health lens is so important to understand that it's not just the individual, that it's the family, it's the community, it's the history of those communities. It's how they've been disinvested in and where the resources are going and where the resources are going to fix it and who's saying how to fix it and what are these options and what are these solutions? Who's saying what the solutions are? It's just it's just devastating. And I think in Chicago, at least, it's like every time we see another mass shooting in the media, we grieve with like the rest of the country, but there's always this underlying well, shit, this happens here every weekend. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? How come no one's paying attention to how many deaths are happening on the South side of Chicago and on the West side of Chicago every weekend? Because they're black. Yeah. It's the same thing that came up with the Buffalo shooting, with the Buffalo Mm -hmm. shooting and with the more recent in Texas. And, you know, that's not, I don't want that to be the number one, only, only focus of this conversation because no one should lose a life to gun violence. No one. Right. Especially a child. But when are we going to really start paying attention to who's losing their lives to gun violence? And who's being targeted. Yeah. And who is after being targeted when solutions are starting to be made and get it get attention in the media. I'll be honest, like after the uh, shooting in Buffalo happened Mm -hmm. where a white 18 year old Mm -hmm. walked into a primarily black uh, grocery store and killed 10 black and brown community members. I was angry. I was I didn't know what to say. I was trying to 
take some time and 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 sit with it before mm-hmm. I posted something that it's hard with with my platform. I'm trying to be better mm-hmm. about not just posting emotionally, mm-hmm. but emotionally and accurately. Mm-hmm. And I feel like before I could really sit with it and process what I wanted to say, 19 kids and, and two teachers died. Yeah. And it really, like the Buffalo shooting was so so overshadowed and mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like one versus the other here because it was primarily black and brown kids that got shot in Uvalde you don't know everything right away there's there's so many frustrating factors that have come out since the buffalo shooting like the person that called 911 mm-hmm. she was hung up on by the dispatcher because she was like ma'am i can't hear you ma'am, you need to speak up. And she's like, I'm trying to be quiet. There's a shooter in here and I don't want him to hear me. And then you have the fucking police issue in Uvalde where... I know. I know. They they just didn't fucking enter the building. I know. That shooting is bringing up so many, so many other conversations regarding the police. (laughs) It's like what the fuck here? Like they they were arresting parents and beating and teasing parents for trying to get in the building to get their kids because the the cops didn't have the guts to go in and do it, or the cops couldn't get in the building. I get I don't I don't know everything that's surrounding that, but like that shit's gonna come out. Yeah, that investigation. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of that investigation, and but... it better not be more fucking guns. For these cops. Right. And again, we like this is where it's like, I want to say I'm not a gun expert. I am not a policy expert. I'm not a violence expert, but I'm, I know I'm not an expert in answer, how to get in. I'm not a tactical expert. Is I don't not more guns. That is for sure not the answer. <laughs> no. And it's just disgusting that that's even still part of the conversation. Like arming teachers. Are you fucking kidding me? Is that like what we've come to? Where now you're expected to train a teacher how to use a firearm? So, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's have a loaded weapon in every classroom. Yeah. Where there's kids all around. Right. Not to mention just the training itself of having to be trained, not just the teachers, but the students having to practice these drills is so traumatizing and horrifying that this is even a conversation it should have stopped after columbine so again i don't know like i don't know all the answers i just know that this raises a bigger question of where do we as nurses or healthcare workers stand in using our voices and to stand up for social justice and make change because it's not just gun violence i mean this is an issue that is so deeply intertwined in public health that if you did feel extremely passionate about gun reform, this is something that you could easily get involved in and use your background in healthcare to get involved. But we have our reproductive rights going down the shitter right now. We have LGBTQ plus advocacy, immigration and refugees, mental health, poverty. There's so many different ways that healthcare workers can get involved in social justice. And I think that this is just brings up an important piece about 
how do we use our voices to speak out and to create change? And like Jack and I said, like, we don't have all the answers. We are not the experts, but we have to talk about it. We cannot go numb to it. I mean, we're lucky in that we have this podcast and we have an incredible community that listens. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, Danielle, but like Congresswoman Cori Bush, who we know is a registered nurse. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know her. She's a registered nurse and congressman. She became a civil rights activist and community organizer um, following the murder of Michael Brown Jr. Really? That's kind of what's I believe. Um, I remember I think I heard that on a podcast that she was interviewed and in, or an article that I read. But that is what kind of sparked her getting into activism and community organization, which eventually led to her running for Congress. So to anyone that's listening, <laughs> you know, it, it people, it, it has been done. There have been people before you that have felt so disturbed by what's happening in this country, in the healthcare field, not necessarily in politics, that have mm-hmm work their way into that sphere to make real change. But I'm not saying like we all have to go run for Congress because that's not that's not what I want to do. I don't think that's what you want to do either, Danielle. But no, there's a lot of other ways to get involved. We can talk to our representatives. Yeah, we can call them. We can write them. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of shut out of luck with the scum of the earth that is Marsha fucking Blackburn down here. (laughs) What a troll. I'm, like, I'm not even sorry. Like, she's a psycho. She's a fully fledged idiot. Is she? I can't say I, I is she your representative in Nashville or in Tennessee there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're working with a lot of red people down there. So bless your soul. I am. But there are so many incredible candidates that are like trying to run and like trying to get in there so like that's a that's a way you can you can help too like yeah don't skimp out on your local elections you know like it's it's hard to keep up with everything but like just start googling see when your local elections are see who's running look into them everyone has like a an Instagram profile now that you can go and you can look yeah. up and see if they align with you. Go to hear them speak. This, is, unfortunately, is like a ground up problem. And I think locally is probably the best place to start. If you're not going to run for office, then we have to start electing people and like pushing for people to get elected yeah. that want to do something about this crisis. In I America. agree. And if you have, literally no idea where to start and you're like I don't know I'm I think that gun reform is really important but I have nowhere to start I know every town has local chapters in most mm-hmm. major cities and they also have moms demand action and students demand action I believe also have chapters in most major cities and through March those organizations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through those organizations I know that you can go online find your local chapter and get involved with some people there, or at least just get involved on the email list, get involved on that email list. And they'll probably keep you updated on when some of your local elections are coming up and who is where people sit on issues like gun reform. So that mm-hmm. would probably be one of my first step ones. I also have a really helpful article that I wrote a blog post that I wrote for my company for riot healers 
I wrote it last year and I just updated it with a few more resources with books and podcasts and documentaries and a bunch of TED Talks that kind of just kind of give you some more educational background about these issues because it is, it's really fucking complex. And let me tell you, there is nothing worse than trying to get into an heated argument with someone that loves their fucking guns because Mm -hmm. knowledge is power. And the second that you start talking about gun reform, I can guarantee you some asshole is going to come at you with all of these myths and all of these different statistics and blah, 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 blah. So, And my Second Amendment right that right. was written in 1774 when we were just coming out of a gigantic war and the only type of weapons they had were rifles. Yes. So educate yourself because some asshole will try to talk you down. No, seriously. I but have seriously. like been um you know with riot healers and with like some student organizations i've been involved with in like public health and nursing i've gotten into i'm not you know danielle i'm not a good debater like i will start crying i'm not yeah Um, same but that's why i talk about it on certain debates like there's nothing like a pro-gun person they're kind of like a pro-trumper like it's almost like Mm -hmm. you're just not gonna like I don't want to say you're not going to win that argument, but I can't win that argument because I get way too emotional and I'll start crying. <laughs> yeah, I will say that um, the ICU nurse actually posted this. Uh, I think it was like a clip of Trump speaking and Trump actually was like, listen, I don't see the point of an 18 year old being able to buy a rifle when they can't drink yet. And you have to be 21 to buy a handgun. I think you're scared of the NRA. <laughs> I saw that too, actually. I just saw that. I, just I was shook that. it. Believe me. I just shook saw it. That. Oh my God. We'll have to add that but to the even, list of <laughs> things to look Even at. Trump thinks it's a bad idea for an 18-year-old to be able to buy. Yeah, that's when you know, that's when you know something has to change. Like that's when you know. Like, come exactly. on, guys. What are we arguing about here? He's come Trump's on. admitting to it. Come on, people. Oh my gosh. But I will say, I think this is a really helpful episode. I think that a lot of people probably just like us, like needed a space to talk and to process all of these things that they're seeing. And um, I hope that everyone is protecting their own, you know, energy, because if this is work that you want to get involved in, it is extremely emotional work. The more you kind of get involved in gun violence, the more you realize how much gets overlooked by the media and how serious of a problem this is. So I encourage you to check out all the resources that we talked about to start making some change, but also to make sure that you're protecting your own mental and emotional health because it can be really devastating work. All right, everyone, I hope that you are feeling at least a little bit inspired, maybe to kind of get out there and start handling some of these actionable steps that we talked about in the episode. I just wanted to go over a few of those resources again, really quick. Some of my favorite gun reform organizations to turn to when I'm looking for an email list or for actionable steps are Everytown, Moms Demand Action, Students Demand Action, Sandy Hook Promise. If you're interested in more of what we are discussing on gun violence as a public health crisis, I would encourage you to head to an organization called Cure Violence. They are the OG organizations that have addressed gun violence through a public health lens. 
And I would also, because Jack won't say it on here, Jack designed some shirts for riot healers with proceeds specifically going towards every town. So mm-hmm. check those out too. They are going to be perfect for future marches. And as always, please, if this episode resonates with you and you think someone else would or needs to hear it, send it, you know, uh, every like, share, review, download up of the podcast really helps us to continue to do what we love doing, which is trying to enact change and lift up um, healthcare workers. So uh, on that note, we love you. Jack and I care so much about you. Till next week, WOMED out.